It's good to be here, and I'd like to start by just thanking you as a church over the last year. My wife and I have had the opportunity to just be amongst you and worship with you and uh, just be with you for a year, seeing who you are and, and how you love the Lord. And it's been encouraging for us and for our family, and so I'd like to thank you, especially as next week we are starting worship services for our church, and so we're excited about that. But this time with you has been extremely uh, valuable to us as a family. And before I get started, I'd like to just call something out in my own heart and probably for a lot of you as well. So for me, as a guest preacher here at Frontline, uh, there's a part of me that says, man, I need to come up here and just impress you. And so I'm just going to call that out. Like, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and at the same time, I think there's a part of you who said, oh, great, there's a guest preacher. Let's see what he's got. And so on both sides, I just want to say, let's, let's remove that. Let's pursue Jesus. And so let me pray into that, and then we'll get started. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. And I just pray, Lord, that you be in this, uh, these next few moments, these next few minutes together as we open up your word. I pray that your spirit speaks to us. And I pray that we would leave here with a greater and deeper love for you and a renewed heart for your mission. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I went to college up in Edmond at UCO. And uh, when I was about an 18, 19-year-old kid, there's this, he was in his 60s, this 60-year-old man kind of took me under his wing and began to walk with me uh, through college. I don't know what he saw, if that's good or bad, but he, he just kind of took me under his wing and we would meet together and we would go through scripture, we would pray together, we would spend a lot of time together in his office. And one thing began to stick out about this man and it was every time he would pray, oftentimes when he would teach, when we would talk, he would mention how he longed to see a movement of the Spirit in his day. He longed to see the Spirit move in people's hearts and lives in his, in his day before the Lord brought him home. And so as I went through college meeting with him and I graduated and started working in the church, I noticed when I talked and, and when I just kind of looked into myself, he had planted a seed and that, that seed had grown in my own heart. Like I had developed this love for the Lord and this desire to see a movement of the Spirit in our day. And so as I began to open up Scripture and look at how the Spirit would move in the Scriptures and then look at revivals in history, most of the time, a movement of the Spirit began with a renewal of God's people. It began with those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus. And, and it was a renewed heart for Jesus, and it was a renewed heart for the mission of God. And so today I want to talk to you and, and give you three questions that the Lord's placed on my heart as I'm preparing to plant a church. And I think these three questions will also uh, be a challenge to you. But in all of it, I pray that it would lead us to see a movement of the Spirit in our day as well. So if you will, open with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. We'll be starting in verse 16. Acts 17, starting in verse 16. It says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. 
So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears and we wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So in this text, I think we see a couple principles how Paul engaged and lived his city, lived in the city on mission. And so the first question I want to ask you is, do you see the spiritual needs of your city? It's a really simple question. But I think there's a lot to it. Do you see the spiritual needs of your city? As Paul walked through Athens, now Athens was a city that had um, beautiful architecture. It was known for its art. It was known for its philosophy. It was known just as a cultural city of its day. But one historian says it was more easy to find an idol in Athens than it would be to find a man. Every public building in, in Athens was dedicated to a different god. And so as Paul's walking through Athens, he sees the city is full of idols. Some of the idols he would see would be Athena, the goddess of wisdom and the mind. There would be Zeus and Kratos, gods of force and power. There would be Bacchus and Remor, gods of lust. Dionysus, the god of pleasure. He would just walk through and see all these gods, idols, dedicated to these different things. And I think for us, as we would walk around Oklahoma City, that doesn't happen, right? We walk around Oklahoma City, we're not going to see a whole bunch of different idols, and our public buildings aren't dedicated to false gods. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus, uh, he had just met with the woman at the well, and just had this encounter with her, tells her her life story, tells her what's going on, and the disciples come up to him and like, Jesus, you need to eat some food. He's like, I already got food you don't know about. It's to do the will of my father. And he says to his disciples, but you need to open up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So the disciples, he's telling them, hey, look around. There's something deeper going on here. It made me think of uh, my wife and I, we really enjoy watching TV and movies together. That's, that's one of the things we really enjoy. Well, we, we watch them differently though because my wife wants to know the end of the story before we even watch it. So, she, so if we're watching television shows, she'll look up online like, how does this story end? And so I don't really get that, but I like to know, be surprised, but she's watching this through a different lens, right? She's knowing what's going to happen, which just takes all the fun out of it, right? But still, I think it, she's seeing things differently. I think for us, that's how we need to see our city. We need to see our city differently. Because you and I can walk around Oklahoma City and, and see all the cool districts, right? We could leave here and walk across the street and eat the garage. And you couldn't, do that. you couldn't have done that when I was growing up here. Midtown is awesome. You could go to Bricktown, it's cool. You know, you go to 23rd of the plaza. There's just great places to eat and great places to hang out. But underneath that, 
there's something else we need to see. And it's the brokenness of our city due to the lack of people following Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And so there's this, this brokenness. Did you know that our city ranked third in the nation in women killed by domestic violence? One in four children in Oklahoma are at risk to go to bed hungry. We have over 12,000 kids in DHS custody and over 5,000 homeless men, women, and children. We rank second in teen pregnancy and infant mortality, and only about one in five people actually attend church regularly. So we can see all the great stuff that's going on, and that's easy. But when we look, when we look deeper, there's a brokenness to our city that we need to see. And ultimately, it's just not a physical brokenness. It's a spiritual brokenness. So ask yourself, do you see the spiritual needs of your city? Do you really see the spiritual needs of your city? Because when you look at verse 16, look at what Paul says. It says about Paul. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he's walking around seeing this. But in that verse, we also see another thing. As he saw that, what happened? His spirit was provoked within him. The, the, the meaning here literally means that his whole being felt it. It moved him to his core that people were following false gods. It's kind of like when I'm watching TV, when we're watching these shows that we enjoy to watch, and then we'll just, you know, it's a real chill show. We're casually watching it. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a commercial and there's a puppy on the screen. And, you know, it draws in your attention. Like, here's this puppy. And then they show another picture of another dog with a sad face. And it's like, these dogs need to be adopted. And so, the, you know, then here it is. My heart's moved, right? And if your family's like ours, that's when we begin to have the conversation. Well, are we ready for a dog? I don't, I don't know that we're ready yet. But it's stirred us up. It's moved us because of what we've seen and that's really what's going on with Paul here. He's moved. His spirit is moved because of what he sees. And what he sees is this. He sees that the city was full of idols, like we said. And why does this provoke him? Why is his spirit provoked by this? I think there's a couple things that we see in Scripture. His spirit was provoked by this because, first, worship and glory were not being given to the one true God. Worship and glory were being given to things made by man rather than the maker of man. And so that moved him in his heart. You think about in the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses and he goes up on the mountain and he's meeting with God and God writes on these stone tablets the commandments of his people, for his people. And Moses is carrying these tablets down the mountain and then he looks and he sees the people of God had made a golden calf. And they were worshiping this golden calf. And Moses is provoked and throws that down the stone tablets and they shatter because his spirit is provoked by the idol worship. The other reason why I think we should be provoked that, this, that we see people following after false gods is that we should just have a compassion for people who are lost in their sin. We just have compassion for people because that was us. If you're a follower of Jesus, that was you at one point. That was me at one point. 
We should have compassion for people. Jesus, as he saw the crowds following, he said, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering. They're searching. They're trying to find the hope. They're trying to find the, the life that they've always longed for. And the thing about the church is we have that answer. We know what they're looking for because we found it ourselves by God's grace and his mercy in our lives. So our hearts should be provoked within us. My wife and I lived in Oregon for a while, helping plant a church there. And while we were there, people started asking us, well, where are you going to plant your church? Because we knew we wanted to plant. People started asking us, where do you want to plant? Like, and they would, they would go on and say, well, what people, what people do you love? What city do you love because you love the people? And for both of us while we were in Oregon, immediately it was Oklahoma City. Hands down, we love the people of Oklahoma City. We love the city. We love what's going on here. We love everything about it. Even in its brokenness, even in how Satan tries to bring our city down and the brokenness that we talked about, our heart was poured out for that. We love that. And so we knew the Lord was calling us back to Oklahoma City to plant a church here because we had seen the need and he moved in our hearts. Jesus, at the same time, after uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the the people were laying down uh, olive branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus is riding this donkey up to Jerusalem. It says, as he approached the city, he saw it and he wept over the city. He saw the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. And it goes on to say, because they didn't recognize the day of visitation. They didn't recognize that Jesus Christ, their Messiah, was in their midst. And so he wept over the brokenness of what he saw. So I want to ask you the second question. Are you moved by what you see? First, do you see the spiritual needs of your city? Secondly, are you moved by it? Does it affect you in any way? Because it ought to. So for us, it's not nearly enough to see the needs of our city. We also need to be moved by them. But let's go on. Look at verse 17. So Paul, just his spirit was provoked as he saw the city was full of idols. So what's he do? So he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. And then it goes on. He goes to the Areopagus as well. So he, he begins to engage. He begins to act on his spirit being provoked. And that's the third question I have. Do you engage the spiritual needs of your city? If you see them, if we, if we truly see them, and your heart is provoked and moved by them, well, then do you engage? Do you engage those needs? When we look at the life of Paul in Athens, he did. He engaged it. And there's a couple ways I want to show you. First, it said in verse 17, he went to the religious and to the irreligious. He went to those who have a uh, understanding that according to their morals, God's going to be pleased with them. And he went to them. He also went to the people who wanted nothing to do with religion, where they were worshiping a multitude of gods. They didn't consider themselves religious. I think for us, 
Oklahoma City is the exact same way. We can go to our, the people of our city and there will be these two groups, the people who would claim religiosity and those who want nothing to do with it. So we have this same divide. The second thing I think we see, not only did he, he go and to where the people were, he went to the religious and the irreligious, he went to the synagogue and the marketplace. He also interacted with their unique culture. He interacted uniquely with the context of Athens. Athens had these two big, they had multiple actually. They had uh, philosophical camps, if you will. There was the Epicureans and there was the Stoics and there was a multitude more. And these philosophies, these, these movements had people who, who filtered all of life and the understanding of life through these philosophies. He went to the Areopagus, it said, which was this council where anybody could go and present ideas and thoughts. And there would be a council of people who would decide whether those are worthy thoughts or not. So he knew Athens and he was going to that specific context and interacting with that unique culture. If you think about Oklahoma City, what would be the unique culture of Oklahoma City? If we're gonna, if we're gonna engage our city, what's some of the unique aspects of it? I think, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, I think in the sense there's a, um, a residue of Christendom from the 70s, 80s, 90s or before. And we don't really have that anymore. We have the effects of it. We have a fallout of it. Like we were talking about, we have people who will claim Christianity who know nothing about Christ. But we also, on the other side, have, have people who want nothing to do with the church because of what they've seen from previous generations or in, in different people. That's some of the unique cultural context of Oklahoma City. And if we're going to actually engage our city, we must know that. But then I'd say even deeper than that, he engaged them on another level. And let's read verses 22 through the rest of the chapter, and we'll see exactly how and what he said in his engagement. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Deontius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So the third thing that we see about how Paul engaged his culture is that he presented the story of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The primary way he interacted with his culture was by presenting the gospel of Jesus. He, t- he engaged their unique cultural need by saying, hey, the God that you worship as unknown, I'll tell you who he is, and he's the God who created all things. And he gives life and breath to everything. He's not made by human hands. He doesn't live in these little temples. He creates everything. And he wants all people to seek him. And he sent a man by whom the world will be judged in righteousness. And this man died and rose again. That's the hope of the gospel that he's presenting to these people. So he engaged them where the religious and the irreligious, and he he knew their unique cultural context, but primarily he spoke the gospel into that place. And so for us, if we're gonna engage our city, the needs of our city, it's primarily through the power of Jesus Christ. And that's why for us, that's why we're planting this church. Well, I'm planting this church by God's grace and with his power and help because I see the need of our city and it's moved my heart and I have to engage it. And for all of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I challenge you to see the needs of the city, challenge you to have your heart be moved by it and then to engage it. The mission of our church, Christ Central Church, is to live, speak, and serve as the presence of Christ for our city. Because I strongly believe that when the people of God live as his presence in our city, we can begin to see a movement of the Spirit. So that's what we're going to try to train our people. And that's the same thing for you. The mission of Frontline is to love God, love people, push back darkness. And for all of us in this room who who are followers of Jesus, we are the presence of Jesus for our city. So when you leave here and you go home to family members who don't know Jesus, or you go eat somewhere, or you go to work, not tomorrow, but the next day, you are the presence of Jesus in that place. And so for us, we need to engage as the presence of Jesus with the gospel in that place. But for many of us, for most of our Christian lives, we haven't done that. I think one of many reasons is that we're fearful. We're scared possibly of what may happen to us. We're scared possibly of what people may think about us. There's just a number of reasons why we don't engage our city with the gospel. And I want to look real briefly to assure you of your fears because Here's the thing about those fears. They will happen. (laughs) If you're scared of not being liked, you won't be liked. If you're scared of people not caring what you say, they won't care what you say. So there's no reason to fear it. 
There's no reason to care because we're following Jesus and Jesus has called us to live on mission with him. Look at Paul. It says in verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. Others said, we'll hear you about this another time. But some men joined him and believed. So here's the deal. We're gonna go engage our city and we're gonna fail in so many ways. And people won't like us and we will mess up and people will want nothing to do with us. And Jesus' mission will still carry on. And it's still our call to join him in that mission. I wanna show you a picture. It's a, a photograph that was taken in 1994. This photograph won the Pulitzer Prize. It was taken by a man named Kevin Carter. And Kevin was in the Sudan. And when he was in the Sudan, he saw this encounter happening. And so he got to the right angle and took, this, took about 20 minutes to find this angle, to find the perfect shot, and he took it. And he captured this photo and he sent it off to his publisher and it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1994. Thousands of people saw this picture of this little child starving to death with a vulture just a few feet behind it. What Kevin didn't expect was how people would respond to the picture. And so after he won the Pulitzer Prize, and if he would be in the room and they took the picture, they would ask him, well, what happened to the girl? You took this picture, it took you 20 minutes. What happened to the girl? He couldn't answer it. He didn't know. He saw the need. It moved him, so he captured it with a photograph. He didn't actually engage it. Kevin, ultimately, because of this and just the, he, he slid into depression. Memories of this and what he saw ultimately caused Kevin to take his life. And so I think we can look at this picture and just see the absurdity of seeing a need and being moved by it and not engaging it. And we do it yet so often. And as I was seeing this picture, my mind also went to another story of that picture. We're often like that little girl. Before we knew Jesus, spiritually that was all of us. Before we knew Jesus, we were like that little girl. Broken, in a lowly state, having nothing to offer, with death, few feet crouching behind us, waiting to pounce. That was all of us before we knew Jesus. And the beautiful story of the gospel is that Jesus saw us in that place. His heart was moved with compassion toward us. And not only did he remove us from that situation, but he took our place. So he became 
He took on death for us. He laid down his life. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins so that we could be lifted up out of that situation and be raised with him. And that is our motivation for engaging our city. That is the power that we have. It's not that we're trying to gain approval. It's not that we're trying to be something we're not. It's that Jesus has already done the work on our behalf. And for the people in our city who don't know Jesus, he's already done the work on their behalf. If they would just trust and believe. So it's the church's responsibility to engage our city with the story of the gospel and the hope that you have and the hope that I have because of the love of Jesus poured out for us on the cross. So I want to challenge you with these three questions. Do you see the spiritual needs of your city? Are you moved by those needs? And do you engage the spiritual needs that you see?